Hey everyone, great to uh, have you all tuning in and joining our live stream today. Um, if you have a Bible with you or one on your phone, or you could probably just Google the verses and find yourself in the right place. If you want to look up the book of 1 Thessalonians, which will be towards the end of your Bible, towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is a, is a letter. It's sometimes called epistles, which just means letter, which is... Uh, was written, Paul in the, in the New Testament wrote lots of letters to new churches, to churches that maybe were just a few months or a few years old, giving them instructions on, on, uh, on, on how they should practice and work out their faith of some of the fundamental doctrines and things we believe and hold on to. And it's as just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's particularly relevant for a church like us, just a few years old, to dig into some of these themes and ideas that the Apostle Paul is giving them to shape us and who we are. And uh, our prayer is that we go through this book together over the next few weeks and months, that it will speak to us, it will speak to you, it will challenge you and help you to grow in your faith. And we're going to read a few verses uh, now, which is Fee is going to read to us in a moment or two. This is verses 4 and verse 5 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Over to Fee. I will be reading 1 Thessalonians 1, the verses 4 to 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we've proven to be among you for your sake. Okay, welcome back everyone. Hope you are sitting comfortably and have a cup of coffee with you ready to go. Uh, if not, you can probably uh, pick me up on your phone and go and make yourself a coffee. Uh, I don't know if you've had that experience on social media where someone tags you in a, in a photo, maybe on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Happened to me a few months ago where someone tagged me in a, in a, a wedding picture from someone's wedding from uh, about, I think it was over 20 years ago, maybe even as long as 25 years ago. It was a very old picture and uh, it took me a few moments to recognize myself and look at the slightly bizarre haircut and bizarre clothes I was wearing, and then trying to figure out who all the different people were in the picture. And often we get tagged in photos that are old photos or new photos. Sometimes things we think, I don't really want to be tagged in that picture. I don't really want to be included in that group. I don't really want to be seen wearing those clothes or with those people. Or other times we're really thrilled, delighted that we get uh, picked and declared to the world that we get to hang out with a certain group of people. And in a way, this is a little bit what's happening here in this letter, where Paul writes them and calls them brothers, or you could translate it brothers and sisters. He's not just being affectionate and kind of matey, being their pal, because through the, these two letters of 1 Thessalonians, and there's another Letter he writes a bit later on to the church, 2 Thessalonians. Through these two books in the Bible, he uses that phrase brothers 21 different times. 
again and again and again. He addresses them as brothers. And as I said, he's not trying to be affectionate. Well, he is trying to be affectionate, but there's something deeper that's going on. What he's doing is he's, he's tagging them in a great story that goes far beyond their tiny new church in Thessalonica. He's calling them into the great redemptive story of what God has been doing through his people right from the beginning of history through to the present day. He's saying to them that their tiny little church, a few Gentiles, maybe a couple of Jews in there who've been saved, he's calling them into the great history of the people of, of God. Because what he's doing is he's, he's using Old Testament language, not only in calling them brothers, but in saying that they're chosen, saying that they're loved by God. He's using language that originally was, was kept separate, was kept as almost holy language just for the Israelites, for the people of God. And now he's using that language for anybody who becomes part of the church of Jesus Christ. He's tagging them into a family tree, a royal family tree, a royal priesthood that goes back generations and generations. He's breaking down cultural barriers. He's breaking down the religious sectarian divide that would have existed in Thessalonica between the kind of the set-apart Jews and the Gentiles. He's breaking down those barriers. He's saying now there's a oneness that comes with the gospel, that in Christ, all people from different backgrounds, from different histories are called together to be part of his family. There isn't any kind of two-tier Christianity of the Jews, the special chosen people up here and everybody else. But we're all called to be the people of God. And that means all the promises that we can read in the Old Testament about the people of God aren't just reserved for the Israelites, but are reserved for not just the church in Thessalonica, but for the church today, for us here, for Liberty Church in Amsterdam. So when it says things like in Deuteronomy, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That's what it is to be the church of Jesus Christ. A people that are holy to the Lord our God. A people that he's chosen. A people that are his treasured possession. And you're tagged, you're called into this wonderful, great story as well. A, a friend of mine who preached here back in September last year, he said this about the church. He said, the church is the people of God. It's not just some pathetic little thing left over from a previous generation. It is his ultimate goal, his glorious bride, the crowning glory of the whole of creation. The church, even us here in Amsterdam, there's something powerful and wonderful. There's something very special about being part of the body of Christ, the family of God, being part of his church. We get to be his treasured possession. And when we read how Paul writes all these different letters to all these different churches, all the time each of these letters is bristling with the cosmic powerful potential of the church. 
the book of Ephesians. We often think the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus is a, a letter about our identity in Christ. And on one hand it is, but it's actually about how much Jesus loves his church. And the Bible in the New Testament is full of all these promises about God's plans, his love and his plans for the people of God. A few years ago, I was asked to go and uh, speak at an event held by an organization in this city, another church organization. And they asked me, the topic they gave me to speak about is, what is Jesus doing in the world right now? That was their question. What is Jesus doing in the world right now? And I thought the only thing I can talk about then is to say that what Jesus is doing in the world right now is he's building his church. Because that's it. That's the answer. That is what Jesus is doing in the world. He's building his church. If you want to ask what's Jesus doing in heaven, the answer is he's praying for his church, for his bride, for his people to be brothers that are loved by God, that are chosen by God, means we're called into this wonderful family. We're called into the redemptive plan of God that goes right back to the beginning of time and he's working out today through us, through his people. And what Paul does in these letters is he, he begins to explain why he knows that the church in Thessalonica, that they're chosen. And we can read into it how we're chosen as well. And I think partly he does that too He's countering their, their doubt. Perhaps they were doubting whether they really were chosen, whether they really were part of this treasured possession, this royal priesthood that the church is. And sometimes maybe you feel that same doubt. Am I really in? Do, do I, am I really chosen by God? And the first reason he gives to counter against their doubts, their question of am I really chosen, the first reason he gives is that they're loved by God. That's how we know we're chosen, is that we're loved. That passage I read in Deuteronomy, it goes on to say, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. The people of God are not a choice people not the best, the most powerful, the biggest, not a choice people, but a chosen people. See, God chose us because he loves us, and he loves us because he loves us. And we always want to go further than that. We want to build different caveats and different things onto that. But that's the reality of what's happened, is God's chosen you because he loves you. And he loves you because... He loves you. And that statement may sound perhaps overly romantic or perhaps even a bit irrational, perhaps even a bit naive in our modern world. Because often we can see love rightly as a powerful thing, as a powerful emotion. Perhaps sometimes we see it as a too powerful a thing. So powerful, in fact, that love can become a power in itself, that people use to manipulate others, to control others. And we've seen it happen where people have found themselves, perhaps even in abusive relationships, out of a false sense of love. 
and they end up being manipulated or controlled. Love can be a dangerous thing. Perhaps you felt that yourself, times where you felt blinded by emotions of love and have ended up making bad decisions because of that. And what happens is we become suspicious of love. We become suspicious of relationships. So what we do instead is we become very measured in how we deal with people. All our relationships become conditional. I'll love you as long as you do these things, as long as you fulfill my needs, as long as you meet my requirements, then I'll, I'll love you. But if you, if you stop doing those things, if you don't meet those standards, then I'll withhold my love, that I'll back away. Our relationships become transactional. We, we give so that we get something back in return. They become conditional. We give love to people, but only if it meets a certain criteria. And yet, true love, the love we see that God displays to us, his people, is a, a sacrificial love. And that's how Jesus tells us to love one another. To love each other sacrificially. And in a sense that means that true love can be disempowering. Is that we don't go into relationships seeking to hold on to our power and only letting people in around us who help build up our power. Actually we go into relationships willing to lay that aside. Now that needs wisdom. That needs both parties in the relationship to be seeking to work that out together, seeking to both love each other sacrificially, not in a one-sided way. But that's what it is to love someone, is to not say, well, I'm going to love you so I get things in return, but to sacrificially give. To not say, well, I'm, I, this relationship only works if I can maintain my power. But we give our power away. And in that, as a team, you gain a strength. You gain a power bigger than you ever had before. Because we see that because of how our relationship works with Jesus. Jesus gave himself for us. And then we give our lives as living sacrifices we choose not to hold a power out over God, but we give that away. We live sacrificially in our worship for him. But as we do that, his Holy Spirit fills us, gives us power and strength that we need. In 1 John 3, it says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. That's how you see, that's how you can define what love is that Jesus laid down his life for us. It's not that we know love because he sent flowers to us or he made us a mixtape or whatever. We know love because he died for us. And there's a difference really between the love that we see around us in humanity and the love that God gives us. Because even the best love we can offer, it's like, a, it's like artificial food flavoring. And yet with God, the love we get is the real deal. It's fresh fruit. It's pure, holy, perfect love that we've received from him. And that's a love that's chosen you. Not because of anything that you've done. But because 
he loves you because he's called you to be part of his family, that he's chosen you for a purpose. And it's important that we understand his love, a love that gives to us, a love that comes first. It's important you remind yourself daily, probably, because so often we forget. We try and earn his love. We try and prove that we can be chosen, prove that we can be tagged in his family, that we can be picked. And yet the reality is he's loved you first. He's loved you already. He's chosen you first because he loves you. But not only has he chosen you and loved you, but he's chosen you into something. He's chosen you for a purpose, for a mission. Because the second reason Paul knows that they're chosen, the first reason he knows that they're chosen is because God loves them. The second reason he gives is that the gospel was preached to them with power. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And we can read, last week we were looking at the story in Acts 17, where we read the story of what happened when Paul and Silas arrived in Thessalonica and how this church that we're reading about in this letter, how it was first started. And what we read there is that Paul turned up and he, first of all, he, he used words. He preached in the, the synagogue. He preached the word of God. But then the gospel came with power. People are radically saved. Some of the elite leading people in the city are saved into God's family. There was a power of the Holy Spirit that came. And then we see the full conviction in evidence that Jason and some of his friends are dragged before the authorities and accused of all sorts of things. They have to pay a bond for their release. What Paul's saying is he knows they're chosen because he was there. He was an eyewitness. He saw the gospel of Jesus Christ break into that community in a radical power. He says, I know you guys are chosen because I saw the gospel move powerfully amongst you. And it's important that we don't forget this for us because we've been caught up into God's purposes, that we've been sent with not just a message, but sent with power out into the world around us. And what does that mean for us? First of all, that like Paul, we can use words it's important that we learn how to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that the world around us can understand. He arrives in Thessalonica and he preaches the word. Sometimes we can be a bit afraid of this book, the Bible. We, we don't want to open it up. We think that it will scare people away, that it's somehow this old-fashioned, outdated thing. This is the most relevant book you'll find in the world right now. Some of the big questions that are going on in the world around us, some of the big unknowns, some of the big doubts, the answers are in here. Because ultimately, what you really need to know is who God is. And this is what this book is about who He is, and then His wonderful redemptive salvation plan that He's worked out. And when you get your heart gripped around that, that will change your life. And that's what people around us need to know as well. We can use words. But then as he told the church in Thessalonica that it shouldn't be not only in word, 
but also in power. We can trust in the power of God. See, the gospel is not a presentation of an idea, but the operation of the power of God. It says in Romans chapter 1, this is Paul again speaking when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And there's a power, there's a power in the presentation when we preach the gospel that God works through that. It says in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this book, the Word of God, is is linked intrinsically with the Holy Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit. If you sit around with some friends and do a Bible study, perhaps a better way to describe that time would be a a power study because you're opening up the Word of God and there's a Bible power that comes with that. This is why every, every week, not just on video, but in the olden days and hopefully in the future when we gather together, why we open up this book We don't just tell some nice anecdotes, some nice stories. We don't just pick and choose what we want to talk about. We preach from the Bible because we believe there's a power in doing that to change lives, to change our lives. Even if you've been a believer for decades, you need the power of God to keep speaking through his word and to powerfully change you. Sometimes little by little, sometimes in wonderful moments of grace where he suddenly breaks in. And it's not just a a power in presentation, but there's a a resurrection power which comes in the gospel. It talks about in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The immeasurable greatness of his power now toward you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that gives us great confidence for ourselves, but for other people, for our friends, for our family, the people on our street, the people we work with that don't know Jesus the resurrection power of God is available to break into their hearts, to bring faith, because that's what happened to you. It wasn't that you chose to become a Christian. It was, first of all, that God chose you by the immeasurable greatness of his power. That should give us great faith to believe for people around us. Because sometimes it can be disheartening in our, in our city, supposedly one of the most secular, by secular I mean godless, places on the whole of the planet right now. And yet we believe in the power of God. We believe that Jesus is building his church. Today, he's building his church. Even in this season where we can't meet together, he's at work. Perhaps even in a greater way than ever before, he is at work today in our city, in your life. The old preacher C.H. Spurgeon said this, never lose heart in the power of the gospel. Never lose heart in the power of the gospel. For yourself, first of all, 
when you're struggling with doubts or worries, sin that you just can't, patterns of behavior you can't seem to break free from, come again to Jesus. Ask him for help. Never lose heart in the power of the gospel. For people around you that you desperately want to come to faith, that you know they just need Jesus, don't lose heart in the power of the gospel. For our city, when you see things that happen around you that shock you, that scare you, that bring you to your knees with tears and frustration, never lose heart in the power of the gospel. And if I was to give one application for us today, that would be that if what we need is a gospel that comes with power, then what we need to do as a church is to pray. That's it. That, that's our number one mission strategy to reach our city is to pray and to pray and to pray and to keep on praying. There's a little tiny alleyway in our city, in the center of the city. It was next to a, a, what was once a church building but is now a nightclub called Tobacco. There's a tiny little alleyway, alleyway called Chabeds on the End, which means prayer without end. And that street was named hundreds of years ago when at the time a third of the city would have been monastic church property and probably at least a third of the city would have been believers in Jesus. And now many of those streets that have religious names, a lot of that now is part of the red light district in our city, sadly. But I, I want to, that missionary fire that drove the early builders of our city, I want to hold on to that for us, that we learn what it is to pray without end for our city again and again and again, to cry out to him, to call out to him, for him to move again in our city. In this time, in this season, where so many people in our city are searching for answers and questions, struggling all sorts of fears and doubts and worries about what the future holds, I want them to to know the hope that they can have in Jesus, the peace that they can have in him. So we must pray. Spurgeon also said that prayer is a master weapon. We should be greatly wise if we used it more and with specific purpose. So use prayer for yourself. When you get up in the morning, pray. It's the most important thing you'll do that day. Gather with others. There's a few of us that gather, some of the leaders in this church, we gather every Thursday morning and we pray together. That is my most important meeting of the week, praying. Soon, in a, in a few months, we'll, start, we'll restart our prayer meetings. We'll gather together as a church and we'll pray together. Commit to those, pray. They won't always feel like powerful meetings. Sometimes they feel a bit dry and a bit frustrating and we're down in the basement and it's, bit cold and a bit damp but they are the most powerful thing we'll do as a church pray and also finally what happens is Paul says that the, the gospel came to them not only in word in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction and you can believe that for yourself and for people around you that when the gospel comes it brings a, a conviction by that I mean that the Holy Spirit brings a deep inner persuasion of the truth of the gospel. Because sometimes we can look at people around us and we can think, how could they possibly 
How could God break into their life? How could they give up? They'd have to give up so much to become a Christian. It can feel too big, too challenging. And yet, never lose heart in the power of the gospel. When Jesus comes and reveals himself to people, when people realize that Jesus is better than everything else, all those things they cling on to, the worldview, the ideas, everything they've built their life around, it will slowly, or perhaps dramatically, will just disappear when they see that Jesus is better. I know that's true for my life. It's true for many people who are part of our church. That We've given up so much because we know Jesus is better. He's just better. There's so much more I could say, but Paul encourages us here that we need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when the gospel comes, we need the Holy Spirit. Without his witness, ours is futile. Without God moving, we won't be able to achieve much at all. We need the Holy Spirit for our mission, for what he's called us to as a church here in this city. But we need the Holy Spirit to day by day keep drawing our hearts back to Jesus. It says in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And why don't you right now just take a moment, we're going to sing a few songs of worship in the moment, but take a moment and, and ask the Holy Spirit to come and testify, to come and remind your heart that you're a child of God, that he's chosen you, that you're a brother and sister with all of the believers throughout history, that he loves you, and that he's called you. I'm going to pray that for us, and then Joe's going to lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, I pray for everybody watching this right now, everyone that clicks on this link later today or this week, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to them in this moment, and you would come and remind their hearts that they are sons and daughters of the living God, that they have a Father in heaven who loves them and has chosen them. And if there's anyone watching that isn't a follower of you, Jesus, that doesn't know you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give them faith in their heart to ask you to come and flood them, to fill their lives with your power, that you'd help them to turn away from their old ways of living, put their trust, put their faith in you, Jesus, because you are better than everything the world promises us. I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.